And if you have your Bibles today, we are going to begin the book of Philippians. Philippians, Paul's letter to this church. A letter based all around joy. How many of you say, let's bring on the joy? Amen? <laughs> joy. Joy is great. What, what Dave was sharing, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we're all going to go through times of sorrow. And I don't know of any sorrow that's greater than the, the, the loss of a loved one. Uh, that's part of life. There's, there are challenges in life we all go through. But what we find in the book of Philippians is a source of joy. That joy comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now the reality of it is, is that we are all greatly influenced by circumstances. I mean, if we weren't, then we would be like stoic. Like how many of you remember Spock in uh, <laughs> Star Trek, okay? I grew up on that, right? This, this idea of no emotions. Well, that's not us. God, God didn't make us that way. He made us to have emotions. And we are influenced and moved about by circumstances. But there is a joy, there is a power, there is a peace that is independent of circumstances. And that's what the, the book of Philippians really is all about. It's about how to find joy, how to find contentment and peace, even in the midst of crazy circumstances. I've kind of heard it like this. It's just imagine like, you know, a ship that's at sea, you know, and it's going to be tossed and to and fro by the waves, okay, by the wind, all of it. But if it is anchored to the rock, it may go up and down, it may toss to and fro, but you know ultimately it's not gone anywhere. And that's sort of like us in the sea of circumstances in life. Yet if we have our faith in Jesus Christ, we know the rock, we're anchored to him. We know where we're going. We know that our names are written in heaven. We know that we have the Spirit of God in us. We know that the blood of Jesus washes us, cleanses us from all sin. And those are the anchors for us to get through the craziness of this life. Amen? The most interesting thing is that Paul, you know, he wrote this letter to the Philippians from house arrest in Rome. And yet... While he was chained up, chained to a Roman guard, um, not free to do what he really wanted to do, which was to be able to go strengthen the churches, preach the gospel, you know, go on missionary trips and all of that. He was just locked down. You talk about locked down. And he'd been locked down two years in Caesarea, two years in Rome, ultimately, for nothing that he had done wrong. All he had done was to preach the gospel. And yet... Even in that, the midst of, of a place where if anybody had the right to gripe, it would have been Paul. I mean, like, why is this happening to me? And yet, from that place, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. A letter that showed them that there was an ability that Paul had. A secret to being content in every circumstance, even when he was in prison. Even when he had very little, even when he faced great challenges and, and persecutions, there was still a contentment that the, that the apostle found, and he found it through his relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And because of that, he was able to write a letter of joy that, you know, he had joy, but he was able to inspire others to rejoice, even though he really could have just been miserable. And that's what this book is all about. I believe the Lord wants us to be full of joys. Paul will say over and over again, he'll use this word a lot in this, in this letter, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen? So, well, let's just take a look at how this church in Philippi, which was a city that he was writing to, where the church was, how this all began anyway. And it was on Paul's second missionary journey. He and Silas uh, were going through uh, the Mediterranean area. They picked up Timothy, who had become a disciple on the first missionary journey. But now Paul uh, took him, circumcised him, brought him as part of the missionary team. And, and they began to, to move throughout that part of the world. And they really wanted to go into Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor was where the seven churches would ultimately be in the book of Revelation. Those seven churches that Jesus wrote to. Um, so they wanted to go there and preach the gospel. But the Holy Spirit said no. I don't know how he said no. He just said no. Okay. So then they decide that they're going to go up north into an area called Bithynia. Same thing. Holy Spirit shuts the door. So, well, where else are we going to go? So they just continued westward. Um, and they got to Troas, which was on the coast of the Aegean Sea. You can't go anywhere west than that without going into the ocean, you know. And it was there while in Troas that Paul had a vision in the night. And he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And so they concluded that God wanted them to go to Macedonia. So they got on board a ship and went to the port area and then ultimately to Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony. It uh, was, it, it had, it was sort of a model city of Roman government. And, and it was on a very significant trade route uh, called the Ignatian Way. And this connected Rome with the east. And so this was, uh, it was actually a military, uh, military road, but it was very important city, um, and, and yet there was not much of uh, a Jewish presence there. Now normally, Paul would go into the Jewish synagogues, and he began to preach, and he would show that Jesus was the Christ by showing them from their scriptures, but here, there was no synagogue. Um, all that existed was that there were some women that would gather at the river for prayer on the Sabbath. And so that's where they went. They began to share the message of the gospel. And there was a woman there by the name of Lydia. And Lydia was a merchant. She was a seller of purple cloth. And, uh, and so a businesswoman. And the Lord opened her heart as Paul was sharing. And, and she believed and and asked them to come and, and stay with her, invited, you know, showed hospitality. I, you know, I think about these guys from the extreme tour, you know, here, she never heard of these guys before, and she's just like, come, stay with me. If you count me a disciple, then you got to stay with me, you know, so what could they say? They couldn't say no. So they went with her, and, and, and while they began to just meet for prayer, here comes this slave girl, a, 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 a 
a, a girl who had a spirit of divination. She was possessed, but she, could, she was a fortune teller. And, uh, and she goes around everywhere that they go, and she says, uh, wherever they went, the, she, she, she called out and she said, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Well, you know, Paul really didn't want Satan advertising for him, you know. And of course, I'm sure he just wanted to be able to just connect with people and, and form a relationship and talk to them and, and didn't want, you know, the Satan coming out and just exposing everything uh, like that. And it, and it annoyed it annoyed Paul to no end. And finally, he just rebuked the demon, said, come out of her. And, uh, and he, the demon came out. Well, at that point, she could no longer tell fortunes. And so uh, the people, her masters were upset because their hope of profit was now gone. And so they drag Paul and Silas to the magistrates there in Philippi, you know, and say, these guys are, are telling us to practice customs that are unlawful for Romans. They're troublemakers. You need to do something. And so the magistrates, you know, ordered that they be beaten with rods, thrown into prison, put in the, their feet in stocks, you know, and again, all this happened simply because they were uh, just seeking to share the gospel, right? But did it bring Paul and Silas down? No, not at all. At midnight, they were praising God. They were singing songs of worship. And uh, the, people, the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was an earthquake. And it shook the foundations of the prison. It knocked the prison doors open. The chains were loosed. And uh, the, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, comes in thinking that everybody is gone. They've escaped. And he would be responsible, so he took a sword and was ready to take his own life. And Paul said, hey, stop. We're all here. It's okay. Put the sword away, you know. And he falls on his, he falls on his knees before Paul. He's trembling, and, and he says, what must I do to be saved? So he was listening. He's listening to the songs that they were singing. What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. So that night, the, the jailer took Paul and Silas. He, he took care of their wounds. And that night, both he and all of the people in his household believed and were baptized. I love that. I love the fact that it was so simple. You know, they just said, we want to be baptized. Paul baptized them that night. And then the next morning, you know, the, the magistrates came to, to release Paul and Silas. And, and they said, hey, is it lawful for you to imprison Roman citizens without a trial, and they were like, oh my gosh, you're Roman citizens, you know, uh-oh, you know, and so they just sort of pled and apologized and asked kindly uh, Paul and Silas to leave Philippi, but that was the way this church began, and it was from that, those little humble beginnings that God had brought forth this church of the Philippians, a church that had stood with Paul, had supported Paul when none of the other churches did. This little church, God caused it to grow. God caused it to be on their hearts to be generous toward Paul in supporting his work. And they even sent this man by the name of Epaphroditus to bring an extra gift to Paul while he was there in, imprisoned in Rome. And it would seem that this letter was really the result of Paul's gratitude. Just 
just wanting to express his gratitude toward the Philippians. And it's, it's an interesting letter because there's really no word of correction. So many of Paul's letters were to, to deal with problems that had occurred in the church or, or just false teachers or whatever. But, but in this case, there was no such problem as that. Uh, and so it is, it is a, a wonderful letter written by the apostle, uh, full of gratitude, full of affection toward these Philippians who had been uh, such a blessing to him. So with that, we, we pick it up and start. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. God, we just pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, even as you opened the heart of Lydia when she heard Paul speak. God, we ask that you would open our hearts to your word. And Father, I just pray that wherever we are at today, that we would have ears to hear what your Holy Spirit would speak to us, God, to bring a word of, of encouragement, of peace, of direction for each of us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Now, usually when Paul would begin his letter, he would identify himself as, you know, Paul, an apostle. Uh, this is only one of like four letters where he doesn't introduce himself as an apostle. And perhaps part of the reason was you know, he would identify the authority that God had given him as an apostle, especially in those letters where he had to do some correcting, you know. But here he simply introduces both he and Timothy as bondservants of Jesus Christ. The word is doulos for bondservant, and, and it speaks of the slave. A slave, you know, there were, there were servants in the Roman Empire that could be hired. They had rights. Then there were the slaves, and they did not have rights. They were the property of their master. That was the bondservant. And Paul identifies himself. This is who we are. We are bondservants. Those who have been given over. And, and the idea, too, going back into the Old Testament, was that the bondservant was a slave for life, but a willing slave, a volitional slave, one that loved his master and wanted to be, belong to his master for life. And that was, you know, Paul did not come just in, in authority, wielding, you know, his power. Hey, listen to me, you know, I'm the apostle here, you know. It wasn't anything like that. He came as Jesus had come, not to be served, but to serve. Recognizing that he was a slave of Christ for their sake. And a willing one at that. And so, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. And what is a saint anyway? Are you a saint? Uh, well, you are if you believe in Jesus Christ. It's not a special class of super spiritual 
people. You know, you don't have to wait a couple hundred years for the church to decide that they're going to beatify you and make you a saint. It's not like that at all. When the Bible speaks of saints, it's really literally holy ones or those who have been sanctified. We have been sanctified through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that we're perfect by any means or there would be no saints. It's that we have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been set apart. We've been sanctified, made holy by what Jesus, not by what we have done, but by what Jesus has done for us. Amen? I like what J. Vernon McGee said. He said, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. <laughs> so either you're, you're in Christ and you're a saint, or you're not in Christ and you're an ain't, right? But our, our job is to help the ain'ts become saints. Uh, so, uh, but I love the fact that Jesus has accomplished this work for us. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So when Jesus died on the cross, he perfected us forever, those who believe in him, and yet we are still being sanctified. We are all works in progress, okay? You don't just believe in Jesus Christ and suddenly everything changes. It is a process of yielding. What we, what we sung here today, I surrender all, you know. Really? <laughs> Have we? <laughs> I think we're all still surrendering bits of our lives, right? As the Holy Spirit deals with us about things and we say, oh yeah, that area too, Lord, you want that too? You know, and we begin to surrender the parts that either hold us or that we're holding on to that God is saying, don't hold on to that. Don't let that hold on to you. I have something better for you. And that process of sanctification, of, of bit by bit progressively becoming more and more like Jesus, that's indicative of what happens when you believe in Jesus Christ. He's perfected you. He's justified you. He's given you a righteous standing but now you are being sanctified. You're being systematically, bit by bit, set apart for God's use. Um, and I love the fact that God is initiating that work. He sustains it, and he helps us along the way. Well, he says, Now grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Often, Paul coupled these two in his letters. And we must first receive God's grace before we can receive his peace. You know, they, grace and peace have been cons considered the, the Siamese twins of the New Testament because they so often appear together. Grace is the getting the good that we don't deserve. And peace is the result of now having that right relationship with God that has come by grace. So you have to receive God's grace before you can know his peace. You receive God's grace. He didn't deserve it. You receive his grace, the gospel, Jesus Christ. You believe in him. You're born again. And guess what? Now you receive his peace. And that peace is to be with us continuously. That peace, as Paul would, would say in this letter, is to stand as a guard over your heart, to, to guard your heart from anxiety, from fear, 
as Jesus said in John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And this is what I'm talking about here, what I said in my opener. Just, you know, there are so many things in life that we cannot control that scare us, frankly. We watch the news. We see what's going on around us. We become anxious about things going on. But what God wants us to experience is his perfect peace that comes with a complete trust in the Lord. And as we give to the Lord our trust, he gives to us his peace, and that peace is like the guard that's going to keep watch over your heart and keep you from anxiety, from fear, from all of that, and show you the way, because the the reality of it is we all need God to show us the way. Well, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 3. Always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, every time Paul, you know, he'd be in that under house arrest, okay, and, uh, you know, there'd be a Roman guard chained to him. But, but he would think, oh, I wonder how those Philippians are doing. And every time he would think about them, his heart was filled with such gratitude and affection. And he'd just start praising God. God, thank you for what you're doing there in the Philippian church. Lord, thank you for their support of me. Thank you for their, their love for me, you know. And, and it was just, it was one of those things that, always just probably brought a smile on Paul's face. Now, you know that there are people that as you think about them, they don't bring a smile on your face. You know, they, they cause you to worry. They cause you consternation. You're, 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 you're upset, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and, but then there are those people that, that, that they're such a great remembrance. They bring joy. They bring encouragement. You just love hanging around them. And I think that this was what it was like. And so he's saying, every time I remember you, I am grateful to God for you with joy. And the reason was because they had fellowship in the gospel with him from the first day until now. Okay, it had been about 10 years since Paul had first uh, started the church there. Um, and, and yet over this 10-year span that they had had fellowship, koinonia, sharing with Paul um, in the gospel. They, you know, Paul felt their support. He felt their oneness. And I got to say this, one of the joys that I have every week when we come together or, or just serving alongside um, the men and women of our church is just the fellowship, the sharing that we have in the things of the Lord. Serving the Lord together. There's no greater 
joy and union and bond than that. And I think as Paul was just thinking over this, he was just like, I'm so grateful for your fellowship with me in the gospel. And it's been consistent. There, it's been unwavering over these 10 years that I've known you. You know, you've, you've, you've hung in there. When Paul was in prison, there were a lot who didn't. They sort of abandoned Paul. But they didn't. They hung in there for the long haul. And I think that that was why they had such a place in Paul's heart. Now, he said, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. You know something? God is not like us. We start projects, and some of those projects we never finish, right? Especially, you know, home improvement projects that might be sitting out there for a long, long time. But think about how many stars or planets have you seen that God quit when they were only halfway done? You know? No, he doesn't do that. You know, when he created the earth and everything in it, he said, behold, it is very good. You know, it was done. He finishes what he begins. Whatever he begins, he, he sees it through. Um... You know, what about an animal? I mean, you don't see any halfway done animals, you know? <laughs> just like, oh, I got halfway, and just like, you know, like an aardvark. Oh, I got halfway, you know, oh, bad idea. Let's scrap it. Uh, no. Now, that's not true of people, right? I mean, you, you could, if, if, even artists, okay, you go into their studio maybe, and, and they'll have several pictures that, you know, maybe they just did a rough sketch, and they intended to, to finish it, but just never had the inspiration, and so they never finish it. Musicians, composers, same thing, you know, you've heard of unfinished symphonies. Uh, but not God. Whatever God begins, he finishes. And so Paul is saying, look, I know that the one who began this good work in you, you know, the thing is, is that Paul, or, or God chose us from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. Knowing everything about us because he has foreknowledge. And so Paul is saying, I know he's going to bring this work that he began in you to completion. And I don't know about you, but to me that's wonderful news. Because I can sort of relax and know that the Lord is carrying the heavy end of the load. And he would not have even called me had he not seen it through to the end. Had he not seen the fact that he's going to present me faultless on that day in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, according to Jude 24. Amen? He's going to finish it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have our part, okay? There are people that will take anything to an extreme, and, and you can't just take, you know, God's part as the extreme and not also look at our part, okay? God, we, as it's been said, we cannot do God's part and he won't do our part. We have our part. But God is the one who began it, he sustains it, he finishes it, and he helps us along the way, amen? Later Paul will say, look, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's your part. Because it is God who works in you to will and do according to his good purpose. That's God's part. So there's both. But he understood that God had begun this work 
in them. He's begun a good work in you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he's already begun that good work. He is going to bring it to completion. You just keep trusting in the Lord and walking with him. And he will work all things together in your life for your ultimate good. Even the painful stuff. Even the stuff you don't want to go through, like with Job, okay? He'll still use it all for ultimate good to perfect that which he's begun in you. And that was Paul's heart and his encouragement to them. Now, he said that, um, I love this. He says here, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He's saying, it's right for me to think of you in this way because you are in my heart. And Christ has given me his affection for you. You know, what is the affection of Jesus? What's the affection of Jesus for his church? We're his bride. He loves his bride. I'm getting ready on the on the radio beginning this week to teach the Song of Solomon. Okay, oh my. I have never taught this book before. Please pray for me. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a very, very, what shall I say, detailed love song between two lovers that's pretty explicit in a poetic kind of way. And there have been many that have, have seen, drawn a parallel between this love song and the Lord's love song for us, you see. And, and the lover can't wait to be with his beloved, you know. Uh, and, and, and I think in terms of this is the affection of Jesus toward us, his bride, his church. That love, that, you know, we look, at, we look at our side of eternity, and, and we're quite, you know, involved in the things on this side of eternity, but on Christ's side of eternity, you know, he said, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you might be where I am and that we might be together for always, and that is the Lord's heart. It's with that affection that he sanctifies us, that he washes us, and he, he loves on us. And Paul is saying, I have that affection. I, I know the, the affection of the Lord for you. You're in my heart because you have been a partaker of, of me of grace, a, a, a companion, uh, a partner in grace. Well, he said... Verse 9, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, one thing you quickly learn about the Apostle Paul, if you read his letters, is that the guy spent a lot of time praying, okay? Now, maybe, maybe being 
in the Roman prison sort of helped that. There wasn't a lot he could do, but he could pray, you know. And so he spent a lot of time praying unceasingly for the churches, you know. And he would talk about, you know, the, the anxiety that was on his heart, you know, concerning their welfare, how they're doing, you know. And so, uh, but he said, I pray that your love, so just, just a few examples here. Okay, so Romans 1.9. He said to the Romans, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Ephesians 1.16. He said, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Uh, to the Thessalonians, he said, We give thanks to God Always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Like Jesus, whoever lives to make intercession for us, Paul found it his primary duty to pray for those whom he had brought to Christ, those whom he, whom he shepherded. Uh, he prayed for them, and I. And I think this is an area that I know personally, I mean, I always feel like, oh, there's more I could do in this area, you know. There's more I could do in just interceding for the people because prayer is so amazingly powerful. And when we go before God, when we bring the names of people, you know, Paul said, I have you in my heart. Well, that, that's, a, that's an image back to the high priest, because the high priest would have on the, on the ephod, you know, the, the 12 stones, precious stones over his heart. And on those stones would be etched the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as the high priest would go into the holy place and then on the day of atonement into the most holy place, you know, he would be representing the, the people. They would be over his heart and he would be representing them before God. And that is the image here. You know, Paul said, you're in my heart. It's like, I'm going with you in my heart. I'm representing you before God. And folks, that's not just limited to Paul. We all, as, as a holy priesthood, have this ability to go to the throne of grace, to represent one another to pray the will of God in the lives of people. And our prayers make a difference. Paul knew that. That's why he gave himself so much to praying unceasingly for the saints that were under his care. Well, what did he pray for them? There's five things here that he states in these verses. First, he prayed that their love would abound more and more. Uh, we, so they were already loving, okay? <laughs> they had been loving Paul. He was amazed by their love that they, they continued to support him even beyond their, their means. Um, and even sending Epaphroditus and so forth. Uh, they were loving, but, he, but he's praying, Lord, just cause them to love one another more and more. And I, I would say that that would be something that we could always pray, I pray, for our church. In fact, by the way, I don't think that we can 
improve upon the prayers of Paul. I have a list of about five or six prayers of Paul in various letters. Philippians, you know, Thessalonians, uh, Ephesians. There's so many prayers of, of Paul that I don't think I can improve upon. So I just pray them. <laughs> I just pray the prayers of Paul over you, you know. And, and, and that's, this is one of them, that God just cause our love as a church to abound more and more. Because that's where it's at. Then he said that it would, he prayed that their love would increase in knowledge and discernment. Okay, so there's two ways you could look at this. It could be that he's speaking of their love increasing in the knowledge of the Lord, in the knowledge of the Lord's love for them. You know, that's sort of like what Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that they would know the height, the depth, the width, the length of, of the love of God that surpasses all understanding. It could be that he's speaking of that knowledge. Or he could be saying, Lord, I pray that, that they will abound in their, increase in their love in knowledge and discernment. In other words, part of love is having knowledge and discernment. You know, if you just had love uh, and, and, and only love for people, but you had no discernment, you could, well, like if they're your kids, you could spoil them. As, as grandparents, we do this, actually. <laughs> we, we have lots of love, and sometimes, you know, we need to exercise a little bit more discernment and knowledge because it's love and if you really love somebody, you don't just give them everything they want. That could ruin them. If you really love them, you give them what is going to be best for them. You seek God's best for them. And, and I think that love combined with knowledge and discernment is what we need. You know, speaking the truth in love, for example. So he prayed that for them. That, that, that they would not only increase in love, but also in knowledge and discernment. And I think, man, what? Don't we need that today? There are so many things being thrown at us from so many different directions. There are so many lies. Satan is so subtle. He's such a craft, a crafty guy when it comes to sowing lies into the culture, sowing lies into our own hearts. And we have got to be discerning. And the only way you can be discerning is to take every thought to the Word of God, taking it captive to the obedience of Christ, so that we can be discerning about, you know, what do we accept, what do we reject. And, and Paul talks about that next, because he says, he said that he prayed that they would approve the things that are excellent. I'm praying for you that, that you will be able to approve those things that are excellent. Now, choices are hugely important. What choices you make. You know, it's been said we make our choices, and God has given to us the freedom to do that. He did not make us robots. He gave us, and I believe it's part of, of endowing us, making us in the image of God, was giving to us the ability to choose. We can, the, the, 
the tree in the center of the garden of Eden was all about that. Here it is. You know my will. You have the ability to choose what is excellent, i.e. doing what I tell you to do, or, or to choose your own way. And we have that freedom to choose. But the thing is about choices is we make our choices and our choices turn and make us. We become the sum total of the choices that we've made in life. And those choices have consequences. And sometimes, you know, you can be forgiven over bad choices, but you cannot necessarily change the consequences that have occurred as a result of those bad choices. So the very best thing is to make the right choice to begin with, right? You can save yourself so much trouble by making the right choices to begin with. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm praying that you will be able to approve those things that are excellent. Making the right choices. Lyndon B. Johnson, president, said, A president's hardest task is not to do what is right, but to know what is right. <laughs> I think so many times if we, if, we, if we know what is right, then probably many of us will say, Okay, Lord, I'll do it. I mean, some of us wouldn't do it even knowing what's right, okay? <laughs> Hopefully, we get to that point where we say, Lord, you show me what is right here. And I will do it. But even getting to the point of knowing what is right is not always easy. It's a battlefield. It's a jungle out there. And we need God's help in discerning what is excellent. So that we can approve the things that are excellent. And we can disapprove or reject the things that are not excellent. The things that are bad. The things that would be bad choices for us. God help us. The good thing about it is, James tells us, is that if ever we lack wisdom, we can go to God and we can ask, God, give me wisdom. I need wisdom to know the excellent path, the course. Lord, I have prayed many times, Lord, navigate me through these iceberg-infested waters so we don't sink the ship, okay? I have prayed that prayer. I can't tell you how many times. Because there are times when we just need godly wisdom. But the good news is that God said that he will give it to us liberally without finding fault if we will believe and wait upon him for the wisdom that we have sought. And this is what Paul is saying here. You know, he's praying that they would be able to do that. Then he said, I pray that they would be sincere and without offense until Christ returned. This word sincere, the Greek word, it means something it's interesting. It means something that is found pure in the sunlight. It actually has the word sun in it, in this Greek word. The idea is that, you know, if you're in a dark room, you can't really tell. Is there a spot on that shirt? I don't know. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. You go out into the sunlight and you say, oh, yeah, there is a spot on that shirt, you know? And so the idea there is that something can stand the test of the light. It can be examined in the light and shown to be spotless. And that's what he's saying. That's my prayer for you, that you would be sincere. You'd be exposed to the light. There would be no hypocrisy. Nothing you're trying to hide. Nothing you're trying to cover up. Nothing you're trying to deceive others from the reality of things. 
And the beautiful thing is, is that if we are willing, we can just go before God as David did and say, search my heart, search me, God. Show me if there's any spot or wrinkle or anything in my life, any evil way in me. Lord, test my anxious thoughts. Know me. Lead me in the way everlasting. If you will do that, you know, you will save yourself so much heartache. And you'll be, you'll be a real person. We, the last thing we need as believers is more hypocrites in the church. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I could be a hypocrite. I was a hypocrite for many years in, during my teenage years. Just playing church. But doing my own thing contrary to the will of God. I don't want to do that. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm praying that you'll be sincere before the Lord. Without offense until Christ returns. So again, he is coming for a bride that is ready to meet him. A bride without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. He's coming for a bride that's pure. God will help us to do that, by the way. That's what Paul said as he is writing to husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church in Ephesians 5. And he said that this is the way Jesus loves his church. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. That's what God is doing in you by his word, by his spirit, by the blood of Jesus washing away your sins. Why? Because he wants us, he wants to present us blameless on that day before him as his church. And Paul is saying, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you is that you'll be sincere, that you'll be without offense even until Christ returns. And finally, he prayed that they would be filled with the fruits of righteousness that come by Jesus Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Listen, if you're making right choices, if you're abiding in Christ, Jesus said, if you, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you uh, remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and Paul is saying, look, I'm praying that, that you'll be filled with these fruits of righteousness that are by Jesus Christ. It's Christ in you working these things through you. And then you get to enjoy it. Folks, you know, you can come to the end of your life and have lots of regrets when you look at your life and you look at the things that went wrong because you didn't do God's way. Or you can come to the end of your life and say, hey, by the grace of God, I did it God's way. As Paul would say, come to the end later on and say, I fought the good fight. I've run the good race. Now it's laid up for me the crown of righteousness for me and to everyone who, who love Christ's appearing. That, that sense of having run the race well, that's what God desires for us. And when you, when you abide in the Lord, when you bring forth those fruits of righteousness in your life, you look around and you see what God has done. And you, and you, know, you can't take credit for it because it's God's work. But on the other hand, you can be very thankful and just say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. And thank you that you made me a part of it. 
And thank you that you worked in me despite myself. You know, and you, and you, you used me. And so we can bring forth those fruits. Fruit of the Spirit. The, the fruit of good works. The fruit of souls brought into the kingdom. All of these fruits that come as a result of just abiding in Jesus and letting his spirit work in and through us. That's Paul's prayers for the Philippians. Just a wonderful beginning to this letter, uh, a letter of hope, a letter of gratitude, a letter of of just wanting to see uh, God perfect his work, and he will perfect his work in us because he's a finisher. (laughs) He's a finisher. Listen, you might be going through the topsy-turvy stuff in your life. You may be encountering challenges that you just don't have a clue how you can begin to, to deal with them. But if you will just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher of your faith, and know that he's in control, and, and when you're lacking wisdom, just, Lord, give me wisdom. Show me what to do here. Give me faith. Give me your peace that comes with just letting you be in charge. Fill my heart with your peace. Jesus wants to fill your heart with his peace. That's what he said. Peace I give you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, gives I to you. Don't look to the world. You won't find it. Look to me, Jesus would say. And I'll fill you with my peace. And I'll give you wisdom. And you'll see that you, you will come through these things bearing the fruits of righteousness for his glory. That's what this is all about. And I hope and pray that we can all find that. It begins by simply as, as, you know, maybe you're like the Philippian jailer today and you're just saying, what must I do to be saved? Well, Paul made it pretty simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And guess what? We're going to do a baptism August 15th down at the river. So you want to believe in Jesus Christ today and then come out to the river on uh, August 15th and get baptized, then you're in like Flynn, okay? Amen? Right on. Hey, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for each person here. Lord, I do just pray, if there's anyone here today that has not yet personally believed on Jesus Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, for, for the redemption that comes because your blood was shed for us. Lord, I pray that they would believe on you and, and say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me, cleanse me. I welcome you into my life. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for our church. Lord, I thank you for these people that I have been privileged to labor with in the things of the kingdom. Lord, thank you that we are joint participators in your grace. And Lord, we do pray. We pray with Paul for the Philippians that you would cause our love to abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. Lord, I pray for those that are facing difficult choices, God, that you would come alongside of them, that you would give them your wisdom, that they would know that you're in control, that you love them, 
And that which you have begun in them, you will bring to completion. Father, we thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.